Welcome. I'm Kevin Miller, and this podcast is called Self Helpful because not all self help is helpful. I'm your curator, critic, and translator of the best and brightest minds in the self help world today. Fractured Lives versus Finding Alignment and Continuity. Today, very few, if any of us, will have one job, one thing we do from young adulthood till the end of our lives, which is fine. The marketplace today is full of opportunity to try our hand at many different endeavors. And while we can do many different things to earn a buck, long-term vocational fulfillment will come from working in roles and doing tasks that fit our skills and more so our values. When we're self-aware and know our values, we can not only find work and pursuits that fit and fulfill us, as our guest is about to share, we will often fall into them and they in essence can find us. Ian Morgan Cron, he's been an author, speaker, consult, coach, therapist, spiritual director, even award-winning songwriter. But all along the way, he found he was doing the same thing amongst all these careers. He had the same motivation. He wanted to help people enter into a deeper conversation with the mystery of who they are and with the meaning of their lives. And he got to do that in all those different roles. This is part two with Ian, where I walk through the motives and values and habits of his life. And this was the conversation around his work and career that was entirely relevant to our previous discussion on the Enneagram, the personality tool he's an expert in and advocate of. In this talk, we cover his time as an Episcopal priest, and he still goes to AA meetings five times per week. He loves rigorous hot yoga sessions. He talks about the first half of life being about addition and the second part being about subtraction. As well, he can now afford whatever he wants. He's selling off his large home and cars and more just to simplify. He'd rather spend time getting himself into environments where he will bump into God, as he says. You can find Ian's book, The Story of You, an Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self, and visit his website, typologyinstitute.com, and take the Enneagram test and find his online courses. You can actually use the discount code SELFHELP to receive 20% off a monthly or annual subscription, which provides access to all three of his courses. Friends, thank you for tuning in. The Self-Helpful Podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. If you are a coach or consultant and want to add credibility, clients, and impact to your business, go to Ziggler.com. This podcast exists to help you find and understand the guidance and counsel that will help you elevate your personal experience of life and the way you show up for others. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Ian Morgan Cron and a walk through his values, motives, and habits. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ian, we were just talking offline about spiritual context. And uh, of course, I know you got in contact with you through Michael Hyatt, which everybody knows is a guy of uh, 
of faith. I know you have been in the role of, of, of pastor. You're not right now, correct? But that has been part of your yeah. part of your evolution. So tell me, I, I, I do love the premise though, that today, here you are in your own evolution, great term to start off with, and tell me where you would say, these are my values from a spiritual viewpoint. Yeah. That's a great question. Yes, I went to seminary three times. Uh, one to be, yeah, one to get an MDiv, uh, another time to get an MA in counseling psychology, and then another time working on my doctorate at Fordham University, the, the Catholic University of New York. Uh, so yes, obviously I'm a, uh, I am an Episcopal priest, uh, and although I don't have a parish now, I continue to volunteer at the uh, the chap the Episcopal Chapel at Vanderbilt University. So I'm there on Sundays helping when they need it. But I am an unpaid dude, which is the best way to work for a church. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's been a, a big feature of my life. I w- I would also say, and this is also a huge part of my life, Kevin. As we spoke about on that last show together, uh, I'm been in twelve step recovery for well over 30 years for uh, an alcohol and drug addiction back in the day. So I go to probably five 12-step recovery meetings a week. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, the what people don't realize about 12-step recovery work is that the founder of it realized that the problem that alcoholics and drug addicts had was principally spiritual and that the only solution for that problem would be spiritual. So 12-step spirituality, in addition to the life I have as a self-identified Christian, has so I'm a little bit of a blend, Kevin, okay. of, of, of those two things. And, and uh, one has illuminated the other beautifully over the last couple of decades. How does that look like? Well, you said from a 12-step that five meetings per week, that's a big commitment. But just from a spiritual practices investment, what's that look like for you on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Well, you know, um, sometimes one of my frustrations in the Christian tradition is it tends to be a belief-based system. You know, like if I just give my assent to these theological ideas, then I am a spiritual person, or I'm a saved person, or whatever word you want to use for it. Whereas the 12-step tradition is a practice-based spirituality, right? Mm. It's all about practices. You know, you it's not about beliefs as much as it is about practices. So for me, what that looks like is I work the steps every day. It, for me, my life is all about admitting my brokenness. It's about realizing there's a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity every single day. That I have to be honest with myself and others. Uh, I got to work on my resentments. I have to be ultimately of service to the world through a posture of love and tolerance and 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 self-sacrifice. Man, that's what the whole twelve-step program about. People tend to think it's oh, how do I just stay abstinent? It's not at all what that is. That's the that's like the very first thing you do. After that, it becomes all that I just said. It's interesting you say that about belief, Ian especially as a professed Christian, as uh, I don't know if you know a guy, he's passed away now, Anthony DeMello. He was a Jesuit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm a fan. Um, got a lot of his stuff. And in his book, Awareness, which I actually found through Tim Ferriss, oddly enough, uh, in his book, Awareness, he talks, he really takes aim at belief and kind of uh, how, how, you know, how easy for you to just slap a belief on something and not in essence in my paraphrasing and not question and not work it out and as as you said and not practice that how does that look as opposed to just my upbringing in christianity was more of a it's just it's just what i believe it's not up for question actually question it is blasphemous we do not question that and so it's interesting to hear you counter a belief-based system with a practice base i've not heard it in that way that's profound yeah well, you know, I, I don't want to say that the, the Christian world doesn't have practices. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it, it tends to be dominantly about belief and theology. And the thing I love about DeMello, first of all, is that um, because I studied at a Jesuit university, and, and so I'm okay. really familiar with his work. Okay, great. 
you know, he would say, as, as well as the great Christ Catholic writer, Ronald Rollheiser, they both would say that the whole point of the Christian tradition is to wake up, right? It's all about waking up. And that's one of the reasons we talk about the Enneagram is it's like one of the things I love about the Enneagram is as it's just one of many tools that helps people wake up mm -hmm. spiritually to who they are, to who they are, and to who they could be. So, you know, that's been a big mission in my life. Is it, I'm going to assume this, but I'll ask it. Do you, I would guess you struggle to even understand your own book, the Enneagram, the Enneagram and, and the book to understand it outside of a spiritual context, just as you're talking about, because I'm well aware of that. And we talked about it on the show that AA 12 step, I mean, they, they really couldn't, what they created was of a spiritual nature. They couldn't really do it outside of that. Is that what you find with the Enneagram? We're talking about our own story that it's very hard to reconcile that without a spiritual context. It's very interesting, uh, Kevin, because you can approach the Enneagram from a an exclusively psychological perspective. So when I go work with Fortune 500 companies, I can't talk about spirituality, right? right. I'll get thrown out of the room. Okay, uh, But uh, I can then go to other groups, uh, oftentimes, sometimes with Silicon Valley companies, they're much more open to talking about spirituality, as long as it's not specifically Christian or right. Jewish or whatever. Um, so, but for me, I would say looking at the Enneagram through a Christian or spiritual lens brings it to life in a way that doesn't happen when you look at it solely through a psychological lens. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, relationships is our next one. And it's, well, no, I'll come to that. I would come to something you said about work, your, your work with folks, but I'll start off just with you relationships. Tell me what bubbles to the surface. When I ask that it sounds elementary, but as you know, it's not of what your primary values are today. When you look at your relationships, intimate family, friends, and on. Man, it's uh, I, I recently had a guy on uh, typology. I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. Anyway, he was the guy in charge of the Harvard study on happiness. Did you happen to see that study? Are you kidding? Robert Waldinger. So we had him. Yes. Yeah, man. I had him on the show um, a few months back. It was incredible. Uh, we connected in such a way. He's a primary endorsement for my book, which you'll appreciate. Oh, wow. And I have Arthur Brooks coming on the show in about a month, and I'm going to have Robert come on and co-host a segment uh, with me uh, about Arthur and his message and his new book, Strength to Strength. So I'm a, yes, you've got me a hello. I'm a fan of Robert, what a dear soul. And I've talked to a lot of people. A lot of people don't know him. And then I'll mention, oh, yeah, he did this TED talk on, you know, study on happiness and 45 mm -hmm. million views. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, incredible guy. Yeah. So, of course, then you know the results of the study, yeah. right? That ultimately it's the quality of our relationships that determines whether or not we've had a happy life. Yes. Right. Yes. So that's why, I, so I would say that, that that's why relationships you know, are the most important thing in, in my own life. Have they always been? No. As a younger man, of course, I, I went and pursued other things more than I did the quality of my relationships. But now I would definitely say that relationships sit at the top of uh, my my value, um, my, my hierarchy of my hierarchy of values, right? Um my you know, I'll give you an example of this. I, I have a rule that I have three children and I contact them by FaceTime or text every single day, mm. multiple times on texts. I'm not a, I'm not a helicopter. They're all adult children, but I'm not a helicopter parent. I'm not an annoying parent. Right. It's just, I want those relationships to be at the center of, of, you know, my, uh, my world. Right. I, the same with my wife, my wife and I are very concerned with issues around self-transformation and wellness. We, spend a lot of time together uh, engaged in conversation or going to workshops or we uh, all kinds of things that that uh, help us to connect at the level of relationships so i'm with waldinger man like at the end of the day 
the thing that's going to matter most is the quality of your relationships. And uh, so, again, at the very, very top of my hierarchy of values is relationships. Well, let me ask you then, as a professed four on the Enneagram, which you said you are, what are your going to that kind of a uh, best and worst of you? in relationships. So as a four with that propensity, what's the best of you in relationships? And then what do you have to guard yourself against? Sure. Well, by way of reminder, the, the individualist or the romantic, as we're called, are people who are motivated to be special and unique as a way to compensate for what they perceive is something missing in their essential makeup that uh, um, if they're going to fit in in the world, they're going to have to take care of, right? Then, and they they see everybody else as having this missing piece, and so they end up envying other people, uh, but also feeling like I just I'm different. I'm on the Isle of Misfit Toys. I don't fit, right? Yeah. One of the things that Enneagram fours have to work on is they can be very emotionally intense people who want to dive deep and connect with other people very, very quickly at the deepest levels. We don't like small talk very much, man. Like, let's get down to the deep, ultimate questions yeah. of life. That can be kind of overwhelming to people sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it could be a little too intense. Uh, so if you're not a self-aware four, man, you, you could like just kind of, you know, uh, also become a little self-absorbed, temperamental, uh, and, and hard to manage. That's if you're not a very self-aware for. The gift you bring to relationships, more than any other type on the Enneagram, fours are the most empathic. Oh. You can tell me you can tell me anything, Gavin. You can tell me the worst secrets you you have, and I won't blink. In fact, the first thing I'll probably do is I might cry with you. Mm. Or I might just go man, keep telling me, I want to hear more about that. No judgment, no criticism, no shock, because I understand that life, because of my type, you know, life is hard and suffering's part of it. And how do we make something better out of it? That's my gift or one of my gifts in relationships. Goodness. Well, that makes sense in regards to the position that you have. And as a, as a practitioner, a therapist, but also in the hearts of a lot of people like Michael Hyatt, who obviously is uh, so connected with you. Health and wellness, Ian, is the next one. Tell me about, it's kind of the most tangible one of this list, but health and wellness, what, uh, what values rise to the surface when I give you that category? Wow, that's a big one. Well, so I'm very, very fortunate because I am married to a health nut. Okay, <laughs> like my wife... So my wife and I are plant-based people. That's how we eat. We uh, go to hot yoga. I mean, the serious, not club yoga. I'm talking about the real deal. Bikram yoga, four mornings a week. Uh, I am, am do a regular, probably, let me see. I'd say at least 20 to 25 miles a week of fast walking or running. Um, and... As I mentioned earlier, man, like my wife and I are, you know, I don't want to say we're we're not we're not self-help junkies. You know, I'm well past believing that's going to solve everything. I, I, but we are people who are interested in developing self-knowledge, spirituality, um, engaging the world at deep levels, and so that involves reading a ton. You know, I just mentioned the Waldinger book, or I might I'm reading all the time, all the time. Uh, wellness to me is being involved in a 12-step community, as I mentioned. Uh, wellness to me uh, is uh, attending interesting workshops and experiential workshops around the country uh, and sometimes the world in order to develop into the best expression of, of, of who I am. So, yeah, this health and wellness thing, man, everything from nutrition to, you know, physical stuff, et cetera, et cetera, it's a big deal. Any specific resource, especially when you talk about plant-based and whatnot, do you have any specific resources or, or folks that you turn to for guidance in those, those directions? Yeah. I mean, I mean, on the nutrition side, there's a, a, a really interesting book. Um, and it's, uh, um, it's called, uh, the title of the book is How Not to Die. And it's a, a, a really nice introduction by a guy named Michael Greger, M.D., G-R-E-G-E-R, -E uh, Discover the Foods Scientifically Proven to Prevent and Reverse Disease. So that, nice. that was a big introduction to us, to the plant-based world. Yeah. 
uh, I'm not I'm not a guy who's like a militant uh, vegan or an obnoxious vegan. I wear leather belts and I don't make my own clothes. <laughs> it's really right. for me. It's just about healthy healthy eating, man. Like, uh, and if it helps the planet, fantastic. But I'm more interested in keeping sugars and cholesterol low, and you know all that stuff. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses. So your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to AIR. D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com. Use promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Uh, yeah, I know. I appreciate that. I, we spent a couple years vegan and it felt like a religion actually. Uh, it was so antisocial. It was hard to withstand. My wife now calls us flexitarians, uh, and kind of goes with the 80, 20 yeah. rule. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We aren't that we aren't uh, crusaders at all. It's just a personal <laughs> nutrition decision. Crusade, that's actually a funny way to say that. I gotta, I know some crusaders. Yeah. I don't want to be a crusader with that. Uh, all right. My, wait, now you kind of went into this. The next category is mind and mental health. And you said that that is a, well, you didn't say that specifically. You said that that is your pursuit 
I mean, in, in essence, that is a primary pursuit of yours is uh, that health. And obviously, you know, as a, as a therapist and now a coach and consultant and whatnot. But when you look at that, and I, I've, I've been lately interested even in the personal mental state. I hadn't thought about it for myself, but like today, what is the... You know, I want mental health. Of course I do. I want some things to alter my mind. And for me, of course, I'm edging towards, you know, being optimistic and excited about things, whatever. But what about mental state? And I had not put that as a forerunning thought and didn't, wasn't aware of my mental state. It's often just anxiety and just, even if I'm excited about mm-hmm. stuff, you know, so what am I doing for my mental state that's helped me really look better at meditation and whatnot? So with that preface uh, with you, you know, I mean, you work in the mental health arena, but when you look at your own values for mine, and I'll even say that mental state, what is that? And what do you do to foster that? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of mindfulness meditation. So as part of my daily routine, uh, when I'm at doing my best, I'm, I'm sitting 25 minutes a morning in silent meditation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm really doing great, it's twice a day. Um, now, the research on it is overwhelming, whether it's from Harvard, Stanford, uh, the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. The, the, it's just this is not airy-fairy stuff, man. Like great mindfulness meditation practices change the physical structure of your brain and your mindset and your mood state, right? So, and your perceptive appreciation of the world. Uh, it, it, it raises empathy. We, these are facts of research, right? So I, I'm always telling people, this is not me talking like a Hindi guru in the mountains of India. Right. This, is, this is the science, okay? This is the science. So, for in terms of the mental life, you know, to me, meditation has been a gigantic thing. I, I went recently on a a retreat. It was led by a Buddhist. And I'm one of these guys who's like, I can learn from anybody, even though I'm a Christian. I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm a critical thinker, too. I'm going to take what's great and I'm going to leave what maybe not my thing. Right. Um, we did six to seven hours of sitting meditation a day. It was one of the most transformative experiences uh, of my life. And um, so that's definitely one in the mental health world. Obviously, you know, I, I see a therapist. Um, uh, I Different times of my life for different reasons, uh, sometimes because I had a fire somewhere burning and sometimes just because it's a good way to grow the soul. Yeah. And uh, yes, I, I'm, to me, great exercise is, is uh, uh, really important in the mental state, the mood state. So, you know, man, it's all integrated stuff, right? It, 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 everything you've just mentioned so far overlaps in a lot of ways. Well, it does. It does. You know, in this, I do want to ask in regards to the Enneagram that I assume that let's just take your patients. If you're, if you're sitting in front of the next, you know, patient in, in therapy and knowing their Enneagram results and getting that, can you be f- feel fairly spot on on where they are going to be at health at, at risk from a mental health standpoint. Meaning absolutely. And that's our opportunity then in the Enneagram is to yes. understand that. Okay. Tell me more. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's say you're an Enneagram three as you, I, at the, for the present moment, you said, Self-identify as a three. Yeah. The the uh, they're called the performers, the achievers. So when you're not doing well, you tend to think that your value and your worth is tied to success, achievement, productivity, uh-huh. uh, to uh, crushing it in the world because you think that that's what you're valued for, or people are valued for accomplishment more than they are for who they are inside. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know if you come into me and you're a three. At the very least, we are probably going to have a conversation around that broken story or that set of false beliefs, right? So maybe that might answer the question for you. It does. I'll I'll turn it around on you as well. And I I like to ask this to to everybody more and more to look at where are you, where do you have to most self-advocate for your own mental well-being on a given day or week? In essence, where are you most at risk? So as an Enneagram 4, if we're going to look at it through the lens of the Enneagram, right? Uh, Fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram. And as I mentioned earlier, they're disproportionately represented in the creative arts. They are people who 
you know, have grown up with this false belief that there's something wrong, something they can't quite name, that's not right about who they are, that differentiates them from the world and kind of makes them unworthy of belonging in the world. And so they, they need to become special and unique, right? And they create amazing things out of that sense of suffering, right? So as you can imagine, a place I might fall apart is envying other people who I think have the missing piece that I don't, hmm. right? Uh, so envy, uh, a big issue for fours is shame, this feeling that I'm not enough, Right now, that also happens to be one for twos and threes. Just so you know, I was going to um, say, I, 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 when you said that, I thought imposter syndrome, which is just my yeah, always my next door neighbor. Yeah. So that's the threes uh, experience of shame. Right, the two has a very different one, hmm. um, but all three of those types project images, different images, in order to win the love of others because they don't believe they can be loved for who they are. Uh, and they're actually not very sure of who they are. So it, and, and so ultimately, um, you know, I know that that's going to be a struggle. Uh, I've done a lot of work around it. It's not what it was. Uh, I know when that story starts busting out and I know to look at it with love and compassion and go, huh, do you think you want to go back there today? You want to go back to that old story? Because you know it doesn't end well, right? So, you know, it. I'm able to look at that when it goes on and with a sense of humor and to be able to, to smile at it, to befriend it and say, you know, you used to make sense of my life. I appreciate it, but you don't really anymore. So why don't we try a different story, you know? When you look at, in the mental health, you know, crisis that we are in culturally or... I, I, and I don't know, man, it's not, this isn't my study field, but the mental health crisis, or are we in a mental health awareness uh, highlight or, you know, high point right now, e either way, when you look at that in regards to these stories, it has me wondering if you look at, at our culture and say, yeah, in, in, so in unself-awareness, not being self-aware, we are just going to naturally fall into the worst interpretations of our stories is that uh, yeah <clears throat> chances chances are you're you're actually trapped inside of a of a an errant story full of mistaken beliefs uh, and um, you know limiting uh, ideas or limiting perspectives on on life right so just step back for one second about mental health crisis right now. I've been doing a lot of reading about this lately, and one of the things that the, the the amount of research around news media, uh, the amount of um, the flooding that our brains are getting uh, in the news media, uh, that of just twenty four hour news cycle of everything that's going wrong in the world, your body and brain are not built to take that much information and particularly when there's nothing you can do to solve the problem. Mm. So, you know, this is a great cause of mental health problems, anxiety and depression, social media, proven problems among adolescents, particularly where you see mental health issues now of anxiety in particular skyrocketing. A lot of it's social media. We could, I don't have time to go into all the reasons why, and certainly loneliness, there's a huge epidemic uh, in the world. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of reasons why the mental health crisis is what it is at at, uh, at present. I think, though, in the stories we tell ourselves, uh, man, if we can start to figure out our Enneagram type and the story that type tells us about who we are, and we begin to deconstruct it and reconstruct a new story, it'll go a long way toward mitigating the worst of our problems in terms of mental health. Ian, let me ask about loneliness. And it actually reminds me of something I was going to ask a moment ago in the relationship category. You had said, I don't know if it was in our part one talk or us talking offline about you spent a lot of time with very high profile, sounds like men, uh, specifically high profile men mm -hmm. uh, in the corporate mm -hmm. world at incredibly high levels, working with them as is it coach slash therapist. Is that fair? Yeah, I would say coach, therapist, spiritual director. Okay. Mm -hmm. With them, and you said a lot of them are 
Uh, we even talked about, you know, a mastermind that you're a part of and so many of them, they've accomplished an incredible amount as far as vocational success, career, business and whatnot. And yet they often are at a point where they want something more. And I think you mentioned relationship is really at the forefront of that. How many of those people do you find that are struggling with loneliness? Because I think you know, we, we talk about that's lonely at the top. Is it? I mean, it absolutely is. Um, you know, I'd say that it's interesting, right? And Mike and I, you know, Mike and I had lots of conversations about my starting this program and uh, because he'd had some experience with it, right? And, and we have not only people who are in business, but in top uh, top fields of sports and entertainment. And it's interesting that they're looking for safe spaces where they can be with like experienced people to talk about the challenges they have. And I came in with all kinds of ideas about curriculum. We're going to teach this. We're going to teach that. And you know why these guys wanted to sign up for a second year? It's because they fall in love with each other. Huh. And they just don't want to, they don't want to lose those connections because prior to coming, they were very lonely. Huh. Now, loneliness is not the exclusive, you know, it's not a, you know, successful people don't have the the market on loneliness it, you, people of all kinds yeah. uh, are struggling with loneliness today so um but the i would say that these guys at the very top of their game it's just interesting because they are so successful that they they struggle with the same issue of loneliness and isolation that everybody does it's not hasn't solved any problems and in fact successful people have a real handicap and that is this they become so separate from the rest of the tribe because of their success. They're put up on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And guess what? There's no room for other people on the pedestal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they don't know who their friends are at that point. They don't, they don't have, they've never had time because they've pursued success to create deep relationships with other people. So that is a, a, a handicap that they have. Well, and it feels like you also find yourself in a place where you no longer, I mean, back in the day when we all lived in a village out somewhere, we all depended upon each other. You by proxy had to accommodate other people and, and you needed them. Now, if you're at the top of the fortune 500 list as, as Mr. CEO, who do you really need? Everybody does their thing you take care of everything you don't need anybody in that that feels that has always felt dangerous and it feel and, and i understand i mean you get to a point and you don't for survival even for success there you don't need anyone and uh depending on your profile then it feels weak to need as well right absolutely absolutely work career and business that is the next the next one. And, you know, I'm interested with where you are. You've had your own evolution from, you know, from pastor to now, you know, coach and, and consultant. I mean, what, uh, when we talk about motive, as you talk about at the core of the Enneagram two motive, you know, where do you, do you see a relevant trajectory as a, as a four in essence to the vocation you find yourself in today? You see the motivation connection. Yeah, man, it's a great. Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you a story. So I have in my life, at any given moment, I have a portfolio life, right? So I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I am a consultant's coach with, this, with that demographic we were just speaking about. Um, I am a therapist. Uh, I am a spiritual director. I am, you know what I mean? Like I have been a professional songwriter, an award-winning songwriter. I mean, I have had a really, really full life. Now, I remember driving across West Texas on the way to a speaking date one time. And I was like, who the heck am I? It's like, I have had, I have degrees all over the place. I, I have had multiple careers and vocations. Who am I? And then I realized on route, the motivation for all this is this. I have always wanted to be a person who wants to help people enter into a deeper conversation with the mystery of who they are and with the meaning of their lives. Hmm. Now, that's why I became a therapist, a songwriter, an author. The books, the kinds of books that I write are all about that. It's why I became a priest. It's why, you know what I mean? Like it's, so 
all of those things were feeding that one purpose or motivation. I deeply want to help people see who they are. I want to help them change to become better expressions of themselves. I want them to find a spirituality that brings them a sense of purpose and meaning in a world that sometimes feels arbitrary. So that's that's the whole of my life right there. So re reconcile that. Would you say that there was, even in your, because you were self-aware of that, or you that was a saving grace that you that value existed and you could look back at that point of questioning and say man I'm so grateful that I at least stayed true to that value that motive amongst all these things even though you may not have been consciously aware you weren't sitting up there going okay I'm looking at good doing this role I know my motives I know my propensities I'm going to make sure that it fits it oh here's how it does I'm going to go after that it was a because I don't want to call it just a lucky thing. So I'm trying to find the connection. No. How would you, how would you state it? Yeah. I think it's a both end thing, man. I mean, first of all, I was a kid that was, you know, one of those unusual kids that was sort of very spiritually attuned. I journaled. I liked poetry. I liked songwriting. I wasn't honestly out there playing baseball. You know what I mean? Like I was just kind of a quirky artsy kind of kid. And I really, at a very young age, became concerned with sort of the bigger questions of life, right? A little earlier than other kids did. And um, I was a very sensitive kid, a very caring kid. And, uh, and I was also a kid who went through a lot of stuff very, very early on that was painful growing up in a home. I mentioned this earlier with a drug-addicted and alcoholic father who died from that disease and left a lot of wreckage in his wake. You know, and God bless him. He he had a, a very, very tragic life. Now, I began to pursue that, that mission, if you will, of wanting to help people enter into deeper conversation with the mystery of their lives, with their suffering, with their what's the meaning of their lives, the purpose of their lives. And it wasn't until I was in maybe 50 that I could look back at all those things I had chosen to do and I realized every single one of them was meant to serve that mission and that I had been doing all of them at different times. And, you know, I still do. Sometimes I'm doing right. all three at once or I'm using four at once, but it's all been for that reason. It was unconscious for a while. I think part of it was genetics as a little kid. I just came into the world with those kinds of interests, but it also was something that just came together. I just, I just grew into it and it just took me a long time to figure out, oh, that's what I've been doing. You know, uh, no problem with a portfolio life. I'm not ADD. I'm actually doing all this for the same, all these different things for the same reason. Yeah. The hope then I would, I would want to offer folks is in to the best that you can becoming through the Enneagram, through your book, the story of you and whatnot, becoming aware of what are those I was going to say propensities, but you would say that those motives, what are those core motives that are true to you? And then deciding, being more and decisive, aligning what you do with who you are. Is that the best way of saying it? Sure. Okay. Yeah. What we want to find is alignment. Alignment. Right. Yeah. We, we want to find continuity in our lives um, so that we live with a sense of wholeness versus a sense of being fractured. You know, we're all over the place. In our lives, as opposed to being fractured, I'm sitting there writing that down. Um, how many people feel fractured? I, it reminds we talked about that a bit in the, in the beginning or in part one of our talk together of feeling fractured of being over here. And I think I relate to this. I think a lot of the audience does that. Again, we're doing these things, these self-help principles, these success principles, and they pay off here in these categories of life. And we feel we're doing the same things and over here we're not getting results and that is man i you know i i was frustrated with that and i find so many people are frustrated with that especially it's it's almost easier if everything's a wreck everything's a wreck you know that 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 makes mm -hmm. sense but over here when you've got success in some areas and not in others that feels fractured is a good word i haven't used that before and that's a frustrating place to be that you're helping people with. I'm, I'm, that's the, a big effort of my own book and my own testimony is a big part of that too, is that's a frustrating place to be. And, uh, so fractured, I like that alignment and continuity versus fracture. There's our next book, money and finances and wealth. 
is the next category, Ian. So tell me of your values as they, and, and I like to put in there money, finances, wealth, and even, you know, possessions, whatever, all these, these things. Tell me about your values there. so funny you're bringing this up right now because you know we live in a lovely home in nashville we've had you know nice cars and we take nice vacations and we you know we've had the benefits of a a life that i didn't imagine when i was a, a kid and right now we are in the process of getting rid of everything wow why <laughs> we are well we are selling our beautiful home uh and getting one that's half the size um we are we live in two different places during the course of a year and we are just trying to get our life smaller i want a smaller life uh, i have a friend his name is richard Rohr. you might know him sure. and richard sure. richard richard likes to say that the second half of life that the first half of life is all about addition and the second half of life is all about subtraction Hmm. And I, I think that's true. Hmm. Uh, I think in the first half of life, you're trying to prove your value and your worth by adding more stuff to your life. And in the second half of your life, you realize that didn't work. And you realize that it, uh, spirituality is all about getting rid of junk so you can get down to the most important business, which is the the work of the soul, hmm. right? So I've just, I you know, so I've been around money. I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. I, I've grown up around wealthy, successful people my whole dang life. And they're all as miserable as anybody else, and sometimes even more so because they're they're they've 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 sort of run out of ammo. It's like, oh gee, I thought this was going to work, and I got here, and it didn't. So, you know, it's to me, you know, money is uh, yeah, it's nice to have money, I guess, but it's it certainly doesn't answer the the fundamental problems of of life at all. Mm -hmm. But it just doesn't, you know. And the faster we can get over that delusion, you know, the better off we'll be. Um, so we're just simplifying everything. We're trying to uh, put our put our values into not getting things, but the pursuit of experiences. I'm not interested in cars anymore. I don't need more stuff, but I do need to go to, I do want to see the greatest mountains. I want to spend a lot of time traveling with my children. I, I want to I go to the, the great cathedrals to see if I can, uh, experience. I want to experience the spiritual in as many different places as I possibly can. So these are the kinds of reorientations that I'm I'm trying to, to build into my life. I want to be as generous with my resources now as I possibly can. I hope, and I think it'll happen. I'm going out writing the last check. I've told my kids, if you're expecting <laughs> anything, don't, because mm -hmm. I want to go out of here, you know, writing out the last check. And I'm not a gajillionaire, but it's you know. I just want to go out making sure that I don't have anything left in the bank account. Yeah. Because it's all been kind of given away. And uh, so we are in a place of real change on money and wealth and possessions. I, mean, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. That's good confirmation for me. I have found myself weary with just dealing with stuff. The more I own, it doesn't matter at, at some point, you know, if, regardless of how much money, just owning stuff, it, uh, it that's an old adage. It owns you. And it really does. And so I look at another car or another home and another place, even that I, I've kind of soured on that. Cause we were looking at, okay, every place that we like, let's just buy a house there and we can, you know, Airbnb it while we're not there and we can do it. I just, at this point, I just rather go pay for somebody else's Airbnb like you said, have the good experience and I don't want to hassle with it. Whatever will lessen my hassle yeah. factor so I can have experiences. I appreciate that uh, for you to experience spirit, the spiritual in as many places as possible. Yeah. Well, you know about the hedonic, uh, you know, gerbil wheel, right? The hedonic yes. gerbil wheel is the, right? It's like hedonism. We're, we're using that word, right? It's like, okay, well, boy, if I get the house, man, now I'll be happy. And of course, we have this problem called adaptation. You know, you you adapt to having the house, and no, it's after two weeks, it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. You've adapted to it, yeah. so now you got to go find something else. It's a horrible addiction. It's so funny. I just, I'm just falling off the wheel. Of a, I was really going after a car, a specific car that I wanted, and I found it. And the more I looked into it, 
I, I, I question that I'm going to get the thing. And then two weeks later, am I really going to care to drive it more than what I've, I know? Uh, well, thank you. There's uh, you just saved 10,000, uh, tens of thousands of dollars. And more than that, just ha- again, it was just a hassle factor. Uh, it's a really cool car, but it's just a hassle factor. All right. Last one talking about things of that. Well, we're, we're on to that. You just mentioned it, but it's, Areas of interest and I'm I areas of interest one, but I'm looking at a personal nature. And I used to talk about this in regards to self-care, personal pursuits, play even fun. Um, I do like the aspect of putting it in the frame of non-productive. It doesn't have to be, but the thing that you do just for you gives you energy, inspires you. It's not necessarily a productive activity in and of itself go. Well, I, earlier I mentioned meditation, right? Yeah. That's a, that's certainly one. I love yoga, man. I, I do. We do quite a bit of yoga, right? Uh, in our lives. And we, we take great pleasure in it. We take uh, great pleasure in, like I mentioned earlier, just travel, hiking, putting ourselves in environments where the likelihood of our bumping into God is greater. Hmm than in any other places in our life. And that's sort of my thing. It's like, I just want to go places where I'm apt to run into God, right? And when I say God, I'm not saying, you know, I'm talking about spirituality here, right? I don't want to get into, is it Christian, is it Buddhist or anything? You know what I mean. How about, I want to bump into the transcendent. The divine, the yeah. You know, when I'm on... So when I'm on top of a mountain or if I'm hiking in the Dolomites, if I'm standing on the, the banks of you know, uh, the Pacific in California, if I'm, you know what I'm saying? If I'm sitting in a symphony uh, here in Nashville, listening to Elgar's uh, Nimrod variations, it doesn't matter. I want to go and experience and say, where can I find God? Because here's the deal, Kevin. I believe that if you just scratch the surface of anything, you're going to find the face of God. Just scratch the surface of anything. And you're going to find God. So whether it's in nature or it's in great music, if it's in, you know, uh, the working out that you do, the celebration of your body, you just get underneath the paint and you're going to find the face of God. And that's what I want to encounter as much as I possibly can in life. I love that as a wrap up, even to just our focus here on, on the Enneagram as a tool to help us be Mm -hmm. self-aware divest ourselves ourselves of our unhealthy selves and open ourselves to the divine and the transcendent and the yeah the glory so can i just add one thing and you can cut it out if you want but you know the the enneagram actually we, we this is not original to me reveals the face of god because if you look at the enneagram diagram what you'll find out is that each of those Enneagram types is a feature of the divine, which makes sense if you believe that we are made in the image of yeah. God, right? So if you're a one, you reflect the goodness of God. If you're a two, the love of God. If you're three, glory of God. Four, the pathos, the creativity, uh, the suffering of God. Five, the omniscience of God. Six, the unfailing loyalty of God. Seven, the joy of God. Eight, the power and justice of God. Nine, the peace of God. So that is a wonderful thing about the Enneagram is it actually reveals the face of God when you look at all nine types. Do you have that list somewhere? If it's in the book, I missed it. Where can I get that list? Uh, I'll send it to you. Okay. I'll get it to you. Okay. I would love that list. Um, That's profound. Thank you. Ian, man, thank you. Thank you for this time. It has been a glorious... Um, what, two and a half hours now we're going on. Um, thank you. Thanks to Michael Hyatt for connecting us. He, he knows what he's talking about and connecting. I'm eager to continue to journey with you to learn from you, to join you on your, on your show, which we'll talk about, which is a, a typology, um, that people will drive them to tune into as well. And uh, great to hear we've got overlapping guests. It's been a gift. I am the primary recipient of this, but I'm eager to share it with the audience. Uh, Ian, thank you. Thank you for what you've done here. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for giving me your time. Thanks, Kevin. I enjoyed it.
Recording stopped. That was a joy. Thank you. I'm glad, man. I had fun. I did too. Um, yeah, I would love that list. That is a great. So it's not some list you have in a book or out to the public. That's just something you have. It, I, you know what? I think it is in that book. I think it's at the end. <clears throat> I'll look. I can look for that. I don't have a copy right here in my office. It's over in the house, but I am almost positive it's in there, man. About the face of God. And by the way, if it's not, it's in the end of the road back to you. Okay. Okay. And, uh, but I will send it to you just as a quick yeah yeah right please now. please and I'll I'll order the road back to you today. Um, okay, and I will follow up with Wendy. If you've got whether it's now or you just emailed me something else, if you want to email me or, or whatnot, I would covet anyone that you feel would be a good fit for the show. Uh, sure. I mean, one person right away, uh, would be Susan Cain, the author of quiet. Did you ever have her on? I did. I did for her last, she book, was great, right? She was, you probably uh, have had everybody that I've had already. Maybe. No, I, Hey, I don't know. Susan. No, I, that's what I'm always amazed at Ian, where somebody will say, Oh my gosh, this person who is you know, so influential, they've got a best selling book and I've never heard of them. That's what it blows me away. But Susan, I did, uh, what was her, uh, bittersweet. Yeah, her, was, yeah, yeah, bittersweet. I'm yeah. about to have her on about that book too. So she was great. A, I, I wanted because to get... that's a four. That oh, book describes a four. Okay. Oh yeah, that book describes a four, man. All I was so through. grateful for the book. I actually wanted to follow up with her to get an endorsement for my book, and I just never. We got a bunch right off the bat, and I never did. But I wanted to reconnect with her. I'd like to still. Um. Yeah. Well, well, again, uh, yeah, I'm just writing this list out for. Uh, oh, okay. Keep going. Mm. Yeah, I will. No, I was go just going to ask. If you could actually just. Yeah. Look at your. Yeah, look mean, at your. We could go through our. My archives. Okay. And uh, send you some some people I really uh, I've really enjoyed that were that'd be great. And, and there's always people. Every once in a while, I'll find somebody who I just. I'm. I'll be surprised, but I can't get through to. I just can't get a connection point. Uh, for I'm used to the, the golden Rolodex, but every once in a while I'll find somebody who I cannot I'm trying to think of now, but yeah, I'll, I'll go look at your podcast. Yeah. Happy, happy to connect you uh, with uh, people that I've had on. And, um, and obviously if I know them personally, like if they weren't just a publicist yeah. connection, I, yeah. I would make an introduction to get you to, okay. Um, um, you know, because you know, you all got to help each other, man. It's yeah. it's tough out there. You got to help each other. Yeah, you do. Well, and I just like cutting through the cutting through the mess and getting the personal connection. Man, same thing too. We've had I've had on just some oh my gosh, just some incredible guests lately. So I'm I'm happy to, um, and I I generally you know connect well with them. So I can, I usually have a personal contact with them at that point. Uh, I mean, sure. connect connection point so I can connect you. Um, be happy to do that. I will follow up with Wendy on, um, I don't have the, of course I've got the PDF of my book, but, um, it comes out on the 16th. I still haven't gotten the galley copies yet. Um, but I'll okay. get one there. So I will, uh, I've just, I've made a note to get a hold of Lori Rowe at Icon. I'll yeah. send an email to her, to Wendy, and I'll copy you on it just saying, hey, um, we got to get uh, Kevin on the show ASAP. That'd be great. Thank you. I Icon is great. Yeah, I do a lot of folks, faith-based specifically through them. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So I will make sure that that happens right after this call. Okay. Thank you. We're putting this up because we had... Some, I don't know, some schedule. I think this with you goes up really soon for us. I don't remember oh, why. Great. So um, we'll let, uh, I guess I'll let Wendy know and we'll put that out. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you. Just a gift to connect. And I'm grateful that we get to look forward to uh, connecting again. I will, I do have a request. Um, uh, I, as I mentioned with Robert Waldinger, so with every person, like with you, I'll do we just did part one, part two, part three will be with a 
co-host and I usually reach out to someone who I think will resonate like Michael Hyatt, if he can, if we can schedule him in to do that, um, it's somebody who will resonate with that. And I'm trying to recycle my guest to be co-host with that just because it gives me the chance to go, Hey, my co-host talking about, you know, whatever is so-and-so please catch our show together. Their book, the story of you, it gives me a chance to, to do that. And I like to give people different um, connection points and not just one shot deals. So then my request is if I can contact you, if I have somebody on who I think, oh my gosh, you would be a great person to have a discussion about them and do the part three on. That's my request. Sure. Of course. Okay, good. Thanks. Sure. I will, I will, uh, I will yeah. take you up on that. Um, okay. okay. I just sent you that list. So, you know, uh, I sent it in an email to you. Face of God. Oh, great. Thank you. Oh, I love that. I may even put that. Um, I'll, I'll, I may use that somewhere. Okay. Thank you. Ian, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for the time. I'll shoot uh, Michael a text and tell him thank you. And I will look forward to reconnecting with you soon then. Yeah, man. It was a great time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Take care. You can find Ian's book again, The Story of You, an Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self, and uh, visit his website, typologyinstitute.com, where you can take the Enneagram test. You can find his online courses. Again, you can use a discount code there, self-help, and receive 20% off a monthly or annual subscription, which provides access to all three of his courses. We'll be continuing this discussion with Ian or on Ian and this topic of the Enneagram. Thank you so much for tuning into the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience of life and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. Mm -hmm.